on today's episode of Created. I'm on a visa. I've resigned my job. I have, I think, you have 60 or 90 days to remain in the country after you're no longer employed. Um, and then the pandemic hits. And so I have to sell my house. Plus, I'm starting a job at an independent agency in Canada. I'm like, oh, good God. Welcome to Created, the Advertising and Design Club of Canada podcast that goes behind the scenes to find out how some of the best campaigns get made. In this special episode, we'll be exploring how things get made in a pandemic. Theme music and recording studio care of Grace and Music. And I'm your host, Lorena Martin-Evans. On today's show, we're talking to Jordan Doucette, partner, no fixed address, about working in the U.S., working in a pandemic, and working on your mental health. Jordan, welcome to the show. Thank you. So good. So I'm so delighted that you are back in Canada. We have missed you here in the Great White North. But let's start the episode by talking about the U.S. Because uh, up until April, is that right? That's right. You were at Leo Burnett in Chicago. Mm -hmm, I was. So I'm dying to find out how you moved in the middle of a pandemic. But before we get to that, can you talk to us about where you were at in your life and how you ended up moving down to Chicago in the first place? Sure. Um, so I was a can judge. I forget. I guess it would be three or four years ago. And I think like recruiters make it their mission to meet the judges. And so I was there, met a ton of recruiters, and I kind of felt like the piece that was missing in my work experience and in my book was big brands. Um, I had been a taxi for a long time, and traditionally we did a lot of work for Canadian brands, Canadian Tire kind of being a big one. TELUS was a big one for me, but I felt like I always had to explain myself to recruiters to be like, Canadian Tire, it's like more than tires, it's really awesome. And oh, because, because they're, like, these recruiters are these big guys globally. Yeah, big guys globally, and they're like, sorry, what's Canadian Tire again? And I was like, fuck, okay. So I came home, and I'm like, you know what, I'm going to go to the States, and both my parents are so like go have an adventure. And my kid was young enough and my husband's like, let's do it. So I started wow. interviewing and I wanted to like go to California, someplace with some better weather. And then as things like progressed and it was really starting to happen, I met Britt Nolan, who was the CCO of Leo Burnett Chicago at the time, who is an amazing human being, um, incredibly creative and just fun and, and inspirational. And I flew in, I had never been to Chicago, went to the office, went to this like weird sort of 70s restaurant attached to the the office. And he was like, hey, I feel like this could work. I'm like, cool, me too. Um, and we just made it happen. Wait, really? So what year is this? Is this three years ago? This would be... Like 2017? Three years ago. Okay. So then the whole visa process takes forever. And do they just deal with it? They just deal with it. It's like such a learning experience. Like I had no idea sort of how that process worked. Yeah. And I assumed it was a nightmare. It's a nightmare. It took forever. Oh, it did. So the hard part is like you think you're going to resign your job, but you're not really sure because the visa needs to come through. So we kind of did as much as we could to get our life ready to move. If we if the visa got approved, we'd go. It got approved. And then we were there by January 15th or something. So how long did it take from 70s diner to you could actually quit? Like, was it six months, three months? Like, how long Five did the visa... Five months, I okay, think. Okay, so it's significant. Yeah. And meanwhile, your whole family's going to move with you. Yes. So that must be hard. You have a daughter and your husband, like, they were just, like, in it with you. They're like, well, we'll figure it out. 
We'll figure it out. Well, and mentally you're like, all right, I'm like in Chicago and Britt was like, just quit, just quit. I'm sure it'll work out. And I'm like, yeah, but dude, what if it doesn't work out? Like then what? He's like, I don't know. We'll figure it out later. I love that though. And then, and then it was Thanksgiving. I remember like America Thanksgiving, America Thanksgiving. Okay. And they like pack it up for like two weeks. And so we had to wait for that. And then right after that, I think we got approved. We packed up our stuff, sold our house. You sold your house. We sold our house. You were in it to win it. We were in it to win it. I mentally needed to go like, this is the new life. Wow. Okay, so so then okay, so you sold it. You moved. Did you buy a house in the U.S.? Yeah, we did. Wow. Okay, so this is 2017. You've moved there, and what was what was it like? Is it different than working in Toronto? It's different. It was it was an amazing experience. I'm so glad I did it. Um, but it's huge, right? Isn't Leo Burnett Chicago massive? It's massive. It's massive. Like how many people work there? I feel like when I started, the like creative department alone was over 200 people. Wow. Right? That's like, amazing. I couldn't find my desk. I didn't like, there was lineups to get in the elevator to like get to your floor. It was crazy. Um, and the building is so incredibly iconic. If you go to Chicago and take the boat tour, they like pointed out that they're like, that's the Leo Burnett building. Oh my God. And Leo Burnett in Chicago is everyone's worked there or knows someone who's worked there. So like, if you're like, I work at Leo Burnett, they're like, my aunt did too. And these amazing stories. And so it means so much to the, to the city, which is kind of cool like to have had the chance to work there I'm I'm really grateful for it so did you have a specific line of business when you got there yeah so Britt was like you're gonna come and you're gonna run Kellogg's which I'm like perfect like big global brands there was a shit ton of them um and when I got there the sort of plan was it would be me the business lead and the strategist and the three of us were going to sort of wrangle this piece of business to the ground and my first day, the girl picks me up at reception. It's so overwhelming. Also, like when you move, I, I thought it was kind of the same, like Canada and the U.S., kind of the same. But you like have no credit. Um, like you're starting your whole life over, right? Like I don't know right. where I am. I don't have a credit card. Like you're just sort of disoriented all around. And then you go to this giant building with all these people and it feels so iconic. It's kind of being like a little kid, right? First day at school. And the woman who is going to be the business lead picks me up in reception, takes me upstairs, hands me this giant gift basket of like Kellogg's food. It's like everything you would imagine, like all these American brands. And one of them was like, who's going to tell her? And I was like, tell me what? And they're like, oh, we we're both leaving the business. So it's like you over to you. What? And I was like, what? Um, because I had like it took five months for it to get approved. And in that five months, like their whole lives changed and they went on to do other things. And so it was just me. Okay. And then someone was like, well, you'll figure it out and you need to hire some people. and Hire people? Hire people. And I was like, oh, It's not people. like you have your network from Totally. And Toronto. I was like, don't you know the people? And, and then I'm like, where's the office anyways? And they were like, oh, it's in Battle Creek. I'm like, Battle Creek, that's so cool. Where's Battle Creek? And it was like three hours from Chicago. Oh, I actually thought they were in Chicago. And they were not in Chicago. Wow. They're three, like almost three and a half hours from from Chicago. In an Uber? Like, what do you, do you fly there? How do you get, <laughs> drive there? And it's like drive. the craziest Did drive. Did you have a car? It's January. I have a car, but I have no credit cards. When you go to the gas station, they're like, how many gallons do you want? I'm like, I don't understand. What is a gallon? gallon? Like, I don't know. Like, don't what will fill this. it up? And they're like, I don't know. And so I had to like <laughs> do it like four times. I'm like, I think I need five more dollars. Um, and that this was a amazing. moment where I'm like, what? have I done? Like, I don't have a credit card. I have no business lead. I have no strategist. I didn't know Battle Creek was three hours from Chicago. Like, holy fuck. Yeah. Um, but what it does is like make you incredibly conscious of 
of everything, right? Because you just don't take anything for granted. And it's not like being on a visa, you can't just like up and quit your job. And so you're really committed. Like we committed to a new life and to a new school for my kid and a new neighborhood. And like we were all in and somehow I felt like it made me a better creative because I was, I had so much on the line, right? And I needed it to work out and I wanted it to work out. And I felt kind of in awe of being there. So it was really hard in the beginning, but kind of the right ingredients to like get the most out of the experience. That's unbelievable that that they just like up and leave and they're like, good luck. See you later. Good luck. Yeah, and totally. You just, did you just like fake it till you make it sort of vibe? You know what? Like- it was actually it was a gift because it allowed me. So I skew kind of creative, but I also love the business side of things. And so it allowed me just to kind of go, well, how would I rebuild it? Because now I have to rebuild, rebuild it. And then the client sort of needed me as much as I needed them to figure it out together. And so... While it was harder because I didn't have anyone to to rely on, I c- kind of made it what I wanted to make it. I probably, you know, would have just fallen in line to like how they always did things. So it was good in the end. So I always hear, oh, in the U.S., they have the big budgets. In the U.S., everything's millions of dollars. Is that true? I thought I'd be making like 60-second TV spots. They make 15s. Really? 15s, and mostly they don't go on TV. It's like really? 15 second pieces of content. Yep. And it can take up to a year to make a spot. Because like, focus testing? Yeah. All the things. All the things you would imagine. And are, like with Kellogg's, I, I mean, there's so many different SKUs. And is it all national or do you have to do hyper-regional stuff? Like, how are you managing all these brands? Um, it was mostly national and some global, which was amazing. Oh, like global. working with some global um, offices and how does the brand show up in the U.S. but then everywhere else was really interesting. I found, um, which is interesting now in the pandemic, they're, they were like already pretty quick at being able to work remotely. So you'd work with like giant teams who were all over the place on all kinds of time zones. And like that didn't seem odd to people. Tons of creative people at Leo Chicago worked outside of Chicago. And I thought that was cool. Um, so I learned a lot from that. Like That wasn't really the culture that I had come from. Um, and a lot of the people from Kellogg's living in Battle Creek had been all over the world. And so they had a lot of perspective on like what it's like to go to a new place with a new culture and a new way of doing things. And I thought that was really helpful for my career. And did you find the creative process, were were there differences between how we work in Canada and what you experienced in Chicago? Um, I don't think so. I feel like the clients kind of had the same feedback. We worked the same way. It's just the scale. There's just like more people doing more things. Um, I would say I probably learned the most from working on Kraft Heinz and the way that they worked and these jump balls, which maybe that's more prevalent here, but I definitely found it to be a big thing there, like getting on this roster for the chance to like pitch projects. At the time, craft was very much about um, earn-centric sort of PR-led ideas and making sure the idea would travel without much money. And so the focus was like relentlessly on like, are you doing something that anyone would give a shit about enough that the press would talk about it, whereas sort of the criteria versus... To your earlier question, it wasn't really about tossing money at it and making it big. It was about, is the idea provocative enough that people are going to do something with it? So perfect segue, because I'm dying to ask you about that craft piece that you did. Craft now, pay later. Can you tell me about that piece? Yeah, that was the most fun, I think, in my two and a half years there. And it's funny to talk about it now. It was when the government had shut down 
Do you remember that? Yes. Like, did people talk about that? So now that seems so silly. It's yeah. Canada knows exactly what's going on in the U.S. I don't. It's not the same. It doesn't reverse, right? Like no one in the U.S. knew what was going on with us, right? When you're down there. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Not. <laughs> um, but yes. Yeah, so the government shut down. The government shut down. People were people worried. People not getting about, paid, right? Yeah, that's right. And we had just crafted the new sort of craft master brand platform, which was about like how do we support parents. Um, and sort of have the real chats that people aren't willing to have in terms of like how hard it is to raise kids in America. And so we had just kind of um, finished that and this new process that we were working in, which was um, sort of acts, not ads, which was their kind oh, of way of getting to like big ideas. Yeah. And we had a process where we would go every Friday and we would like pitch stuff based on this this way of working, but also this new strategy. And we had amazing clients who were like, just bring us the like headline, key visual and a headline, and then we'll decide. So it was like Friday afternoon. We walk over there. They were based in Chicago. And we are like, hey, what if we do something about this government shutdown? Like maybe we open up a store in in Washington. And they were like, yeah, I don't know. And then on Saturday morning, client called and he was like, yeah, I super want to do it. But I don't want to do it unless you can get that store up and running by Wednesday. Really? And like, it's Saturday? It's Saturday. Because he was like, I don't know, what if the government opens up again? I'm like, there's no indication that that's going to happen anytime soon. But, but, fair, but fair point. Fair point. Right. And he's like, so find me a place up by Wednesday or I'm not doing it. And there was like a snowstorm in Washington, plus the government is shut down. So right. all of the things that you need to like open up a store. Permits and all of that. Yeah. Whatnot. So we send a team. They find a location. We pitch it to the client on Sunday night. He approves it. And we open up a store. We didn't make it for the Wednesday, but we made it for the Thursday. Really? You did it? We did it. And we, like, filled it with stuff that we, like, shopped for. Basically, like, deployed a whole team down in Washington to do it. And it was kind of magical what happened because it became this gathering place for people who kind of, like, were trying to figure out what, like, the next thing for them was. So can you explain the store? So the store, the idea was craft now, meaning like take what it, whatever it is that you need uh, and pay it back later. So don't pay it back to Kraft Heinz, like pay it to a charity or whoever. Um, because people were obviously really sensitive that they were like, hey, we don't want it to feel like a handout. But at the same time, the thing that was becoming really difficult for parents was like thinking about where the next meal was going to come from. And so we filled the store with all craft products. And then sort of a week into it... We took out a full-page newspaper ad, and we invited all other brands to help fill the shelves with stuff. So I feel like there was like seven other brands, H&M, places like that, who came and contributed stuff. Clothing for kids, like you name it. So the shelves like continually would like fill back up with stuff, and we kept the store open until the shutdown ended. And how did you get the word out to the people of Washington that this the store was available? So this is the thing, and that was the the... The craft process was this idea has to be provocative enough. Craft Now Pay Later was a great name. It had a great visual. And literally, like, it just was explosive. So, you know, they tallied it at, like, over a billion impressions, which, whether people care about that or not, um, the news just traveled. And and I think maybe the greatest part about it was the people who worked at Craft Heinz felt so proud because that issue touched so many people. Mm-hmm. Right. Like everyone either was like their spouse or somebody they knew. And so it kind of just like did the work for itself. And so people could come and just honor system, take what you need. Yeah. Yeah. Like we made bags, we made signage, like you name it. It was pretty cool. That's so beautiful. So I've actually played that case study for clients as like an example of um, 
truly, if you want your brand to have purpose, here's a great example of, of rising to an occasion and giving your brand an, a, a real, like, true to your brand purpose versus just like, ah, it's a pandemic and like, let's do this thing. Totally. Uh, it felt so true to, to Kraft Heinz. Yeah. And I mean, kudos to our clients because we didn't know how that was going to play. Like, we didn't know if we could like pull it off in the end. And so like just hourly, we'd make decisions and hope for the best. And so, you know, there's a lot of clients who are always like, you know, scare us or push us. And then when you present an idea and they say, well, you got to tell me exactly how it's going to work is when it's hard. These clients were like, well, we're just going to figure it out as we go. We'll make the best decisions we humanly can. And we believe in it. And to your point, it was true to their brand purpose. So it worked. So, you know, I've heard from clients before say, ah, things take too long and it's too slow. You did it in four business days. It was bananas. So talk to us about the scrappy process of making that happen. Did you literally send an art director and a writer to look for things on what, like the one ads, like store for rent? Like, how did they do it? Yeah. So the Saturday when he called and said, I want to do it, um, a production crew flew to Washington and they ha- they found a location that fell outside of um, needing a permit. So I think we had like three places. And then on our Sunday call with the client, he was like, I don't like love any of these. I'm like, dude, like we can't believe we found three yeah. things. And he's like, meh. Um, and so we just like went with one that had enough street traffic and like ability for people to get there. And you just you're just like, well, we have to make it happen in three days. So we're just going to we're going to do it. And we're just we going to do printed it. Printed signage. A team flew there and literally drove to like every Walmart to get the f- original like stock into the store and then figure out a way to like keep it refreshed. That's unbelievable. And so how long was it up and running for until the shutdown ended? Until the shutdown ended. So it was true to its word. Yep. It was really there for families up until the crisis ended. Yeah, that That's, was the big thing. I'm like, you can't do it if you're going to shut it down after three days. And they were like, we'll just keep it. And which is why we did that full page ad to be like, help us keep it stocked. Like it, this is for real. It wasn't... Um, you know, just for for the PR news story, it was legit. It's so great to have a piece that really, I can tell it's very personal to you. What was it like when you were on the ground sort of watching these families experience? Like, listen, it's an experiential advertising stunt, but it, but it, stunt feels like the wrong word to me because it actually feels like an authentic giving back moment. Yeah. Um, was it emotional for you being there and seeing what a difference the advertising can do? Yeah, I think so. I think so. It was, you know what, the, I don't know if we intended this to be like that. The way that the store got designed was like really bright and fun and like enjoyable. Yeah. And I think it created the sense of community versus like, it didn't come across as like sad. Yeah. Um, and then all of these people had these like amazing stories about um, like what it meant to them it was pretty cool. Yeah, it actually, it felt very true to the brands actually. Yeah. Um, and how cool that other brands like H&M were saying got on board and it became so much bigger than yeah totally than a thing you pitched on a Friday afternoon totally and six days later was a real thing yeah that's so amazing yeah so now I'd love to talk about leaving the U.S. so so you've been there for now for three you were there for three years in total two and a half years two and a half years and was your decision to move back pre-pandemic was this always part of the plan well, now I feel like the, I don't know, some kind of karma was like, hey, you should consider going home before um, I knew about the pandemic. Um, sadly, this is the moment where I sort of bring it down. But right after we had moved to the U.S., my dad died. 
Oh, I'm so sorry. Which was I like a know that. crazy, but we didn't expect it. Oh, no. And so I think what turned into, or what was supposed to be this like fun adventure actually kind of got hard and serious in the sense that my mom is here by herself. And it would it was a moment in time where if we weren't going to come back, it meant my kid would go to high school in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, no high school kid wants to move school. So I'm like, we're either going to stay forever or for the long haul or we're, we're going to come back. So it kind of was a quick decision. I had just been promoted to CCO, which honestly was like a dream job for me. Which is hu- so... You got promoted to CCO in two years, less than two years, right? Yeah. Which is unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, it's not unbelievable. You're so talented and incredible. Of course, you got promoted to CCO in under two years. But now you're running Leo Burnett Chicago, like the agency. No, it's crazy. I can't. And how do you make that decision? Like, are we going to stay here or are we going to go back? Yeah. A lot of family Um, meetings or soul searching? You know what? I went to a meeting at Facebook. It was one of our clients. Uh, We had the messenger piece of business. And their CMO got up to speak. And he had said, oh, I I prepared all these slides, but I decided I'm not going to use them. I just want to tell you a story. And he told this story about how he had felt like for a long time he kind of like lost his, his purpose. He was like, I've been thinking a lot about like my legacy and my purpose. And I don't know if I like was where I needed to be to feel like I was acting on it. And then his granddaughter was born and he showed a picture and he was like, as soon as I saw her, like I knew what I needed to do. And he made a big career change and he ended up at Facebook. I found that really inspiring. And um, everyone around me, like from Leo Chicago, if I'm super honest, they were like, oh, my God, I'm so motivated to make great campaigns. And I was like, fuck, I think I'm going to quit my job. Oh, my God. Um, because the thing that my dad's death taught me and everyone says it and it's so cheesy, but like when you live it, it's like, you've got one life, man. And Mm -hmm. so I was like, I'm in Chicago by myself. We have no family there. My kid desperately wants to come home to me close to my mom. This is the year to do it if we're going to do it. Otherwise it would be really difficult. And so I'm like, let's do it. I think in my heart of hearts, it's the thing long-term for my career too, like where I want to be, um, I wished I had had a few more years, but that like Facebook moment, I'm like, yeah, me too. Like my purpose, I think, is different than staying in the big giant network, even though the job was great. I'm like, it's not really who I am. Um, And I had always wanted to work at NFA and I had been talking to them sort of just as, you know, building a relationship. I'm like, that's that's where I want to go. So if I come back, I want to be excited about where I want to go the timing worked out I'm like let's do it it's amazing how somebody's words at that right moment in time right can change a whole trajectory yes that's really beautiful yeah. that's so cool so you make the decision to move back to you no, know, to, to, to Toronto to Canada had had you been talking to no fixed address previously or were you like let's see what's up in Canada no I was like if I go back that's where I'm going really yeah um and Dave LaFont, who's one of the the founders, he and I had sort of become friends. He'd come to Chicago every once in a while and we'd have a drink. And so it felt very non-interviewee. Mm-hmm. And then I said, hey, I had this like moment at this Facebook meeting and this is what got said. And like, I think my purpose is with you. And so I'm like, whether that's now or later, like, this is what I'm thinking. And so we figured it out. Um, I don't think I, I definitely wasn't going to come back if I didn't have something that I'm like super excited. Like for me, career is a big thing so I wanted to go like okay here's my next step and this makes sense in my own brain as to what the next step was going to be um I mean you're CCO of friggin (laughs) 
over at Chicago. It better be a great, awesome, yeah, awesome opportunity. Yeah, which it, which it is. No fixed address. You are a partner there. They brought you in as partner. Yeah. Um. So when did you make that? Dis- when you're like, okay, I'm handing in my notice. I'm I'm moving back. Was that uh, January? It was January. Okay. And I will tell you, it is really hard. Um to like fight for your own happiness because a lot of people were like you're crazy like you have a crazy cool job like so many people want that job I'm like a thousand percent but in my heart of hearts like I knew what I wanted to do for my happiness for my family's happiness um but it's tough like when you're that senior the a lot of people tell you their opinions on what you should do and so um it was a tough period of time to like stick to my guns like I had made the decision and then it was a long it was a long time before I actually left. So it was like January to April before I left Leo. So because you needed to like give notice and yeah, like, all that. You know, stuff. you had the big I love what you said about fighting for your own happiness. That's such a beautiful way to put how to truly you know, when you talked about when you have this big life moment that makes you that crystallizes you've got one life to live and asking yourself what's truly going to make you happy. I think that's such a powerful statement. And especially when people are telling you, no, no, you have the dream job. Yeah. Oh, totally. People were like, you're crazy. I can't believe you would do that. Um, And it came from a lot of places. And I'm like, no, like, I know, I know this is the right thing for me. And, um, but it's tough, right? There's lots of noise. And to not cave and do what people want you to do is, that was a hard lesson for me. But no regrets, obviously. Super no regrets. You, and then the pandemic. So and that's then the, the pandemic. other thing. So actually, gr- actually great timing. Maybe you have like a crazy Well, this is, I'm sense. like, oh my God, maybe that was my dad. He was like, ah, go home, go home. Are you not hearing me? Um, but the I, maybe the craziest moment of my lifetime was I had quit. Also meaning um, my visa would be up. So you can't just stay in the States, right? So I'm on a visa. I've resigned my job. I have, I think, you have 60 or 90 days to remain in the country after you're no longer employed. Um, And then the pandemic hits. And so I have to sell my house. Plus, I'm starting a job at an independent agency in Canada. I'm like, oh, good God. Like, what have I done? I'm unemployed. I don't really have a country. I wouldn't get unemployment. Like, what happens? Like, it was so terrifying, this moment of, like, this is wild. And just had to figure out how to, like, ride it out and everything's fine. But I didn't know it at the time. It's, that's actually so crazy. Like, you're selling your house, what, like, in Mar- March, February, March. Like, the pandemic is hitting and you got, and you have this car. Like, you have all this stuff. All this stuff. All this stuff. <laughs> and, okay, so you managed to do it, though. And get back up here. Um, and then you're starting in a, a big role again, having not met, I assume, a lot of the staff. Yeah. And you're coming on and and what? Like your intros over a Teams meeting? and So coincidentally, I had been in Toronto for some r- random thing. I don't even remember why. And I had gone to the office and we did little like meet and greet champagne thing. And I'm so grateful for that moment because I was like physically in the office amongst the humans. And then everything went to Zoom. But you got to have that moment, that but I got real to have that life, moment. Yes. human moment yeah. to connect with everybody. But I think because I've been talking to Serge and Dave for so long, I felt like I kind of understood the culture. Like it wasn't totally brand new for me. I didn't feel like I was walking in cold. Um, and there's some benefits of the Zoom thing. I felt like my introduction was really deliberate. Like I got to have these like really lovely one-on-ones with people. 
um, versus when you start a new job, you kind of get pulled into the first fire that happens when you're standing in the hallway. Um, I felt like I had more time to like kind of transition into things, pick and choose how I wanted to participate. Um, and then there's a sense of camaraderie because we're all in this together. We had just hired a ton of new people. So I wasn't the only one who kind of had never like really been in the office. Mm-hmm. And then in the midst of all of that, we opened up New York. And so right. that kind of everyone was like, hey, we're all a lot of us have never met each other, but we're figuring it out. So talk to me about creating work in a pandemic and galvanizing the troops and staying creative. How have you found it? Other than it's totally fucking bizarre. It's totally bizarre, yeah. right? Yeah, um, it's weird, 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 but kind of also cool. Like there's things about it I genuinely like. Me too. Yeah. Me too. And you know what? Actually, maybe the hardest thing for me, I feel like I have this like conflicted feeling of like, I love it and I hate it all at the same time. Mm-hmm. One of the things I noticed is we have a lot of like younger talent. They seem to me kind of liberated in the sense of like, hey, now I can live anywhere. Like living in downtown Toronto is expensive or I live outside of Toronto and the commute's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Those people sort of have expressed a lot more happiness in terms of like using commute time in a different way. So I think that's pretty amazing. Kind of the idea of like you could live anywhere. You know, we're working with New York, but you wouldn't know that they're in New York and that doesn't matter anymore. Like, I love that. It's almost Um, back to when you were dealing with the Kellogg's teams all over the world. Totally. And it felt really natural to them to have different time zones and it didn't didn't really matter. Totally. That that the way the, the world is moving forward is more. Yeah. In that sphere. My worry is if there's a their world in which we... So part of me, I'm like, I never want to go back to what it was. I kind of can't imagine nine to five at my desk in that, right? Like yeah. dressed up, wearing mm-hmm. like real shoes I and real I love elastic pants. waistbands. Yeah, I'm like totally. living my truth. But at the same time, I look back on my career and I'm like, I think some of my best moments have been those like spontaneous things where I got tossed into something that I wasn't prepared for or that I maybe wasn't quite ready for. Or a thing that got said that I was lucky enough to stand by someone in here. It's like those things that mm-hmm. I'm afraid, like the inputs, we're, we're so controlling our own inputs right now. And that makes me worried about my own creativity, right? Because I kind of thrive on the like things I didn't expect. But I'm actually kind of an introvert and a homebody. So like this suits me. But I'm like, but I don't think it's necessarily good for me. And I think you raise a good point, like young teams and what they need versus you know, somebody who's more seasoned, who's, you know, like has, has like run more of a gamut of, of how to best create and knows what you need. Um, how do you inspire your teams and sort of that youthful energy in creativity from afar? Yeah, that's harder, right? Because Zooms feel really deliberate. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of spontaneity. I, I find like, I mean, everyone I think would agree, like when you're in the office and you see someone and you just have that connection and you know, build those relationships. It's hard to do over Zoom. I think people feel a lot of pressure to participate in every Zoom because people are worried about, you know, making making sure that everyone knows they're working hard, which um, just creates a, like a tough dynamic for people. And it's a pandemic, and there are there are less jobs available in, right. in our industry right now. It's a truth. Um, so I feel like, yeah, you've, 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 I think people are tense about wanting to perform and, and over participate. And there's the zoom burnout factor of being on calls all day. Um, how do you help mitigate some of that stress and burnout? Yeah, we, what I find really amazing about NFA is like, they are very transparent. 
they over communicate. So people always know where things are at, like the great things and the bad things. And so we're trying to create a culture where people don't feel like they're going to get caught off guard by something. So it's like, here's where we're at this week. This is where we think we're going. Like our clients have been really amazing. We, we're pretty lucky in the sense that our clients haven't been deeply impacted. Um, I find Dave and Serge are working so hard to like people are, are is our number one priority. And you really feel that, um, you know, we're doing things like um, Zoom free Fridays and Thirsty Thursdays. And a lot of people are like starting to meet outside the office for drinks, like whatever it is that we can do to create some sense of spontaneity. Um, we've done a lot around um, diversity and inclusion, like we're reading things and having conversations. And even that feels just a little more spontaneous than these sort of creative Zoom meetings that are like really regimented. And how do you think, um, you know, we're all so separated and apart um, and like you mentioned the human connection and actually being able to talk to people in the office. So how do you think mental health is being managed right now during this crisis? I think we have to be really conscious of what's happening. I felt in the beginning there was like this people are tense. It was very much around losing your job and people were super worried and sort of the fear of going outside. Mm-hmm. Now I find people are more comfortable with it. Most people that I talk to say like, hey, I found my groove and there's things I really like and there's things I don't like, but I, there's a lot of things I do like. And I feel more like I have a routine and I know how to like work with people. I think as that becomes sort of more the everyday, it's starting to be harder um, for people just to deal with their emotions. Because I think in like any given day, like you're like, oh, this isn't so bad. And then you're like, but why do I feel sad? Mm-hmm. You know, for me personally, I'm like, I struggle with the like feeling incredibly grateful. Like, I'm so glad I'm home. I'm so glad I'm near my mom and my kid's happy. And I have this awesome job and the NFA is awesome and the team's awesome. And we have our clients. I'm like, yeah, but then why do I feel kind of down at the same time? Right. Like, it's always with these kind of two opposite emotions bumping up against each other and trying to figure out, like, why do I even feel that? And if I think about it, I'm like, it's not really that I want it to be like it was. Maybe it's like I don't know what it will be in the future. Or I used to live in a world where you're always, like, looking forward to the next thing and that thing's a little less clear because you're always at home. Yeah, I think actually that's a really beautiful observation because there is something in the anticipation of some great trip you've planned or a reunion you're looking forward to. And it does feel really weird not to be able to to forward think. Right. Yes. You have to think in the now. Which is good, too, and other reasons. But yeah, it, it is weird not to ha- you don't know how to look forward to things. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so then you're like, but I should live in the moment and right. this is how I'm supposed to feel and I'm supposed to feel grateful, which I do, except there's still a thing that kind of makes you feel, I don't know, like some days anxious, some days sad. Um, and so what I'm trying to do with the people that I connect with at work is like say it out loud because you hear someone else feel the same and you're like, oh, okay, cool. Like normalize it. Like on a, like on a Zoom? On a Zoom, in a call, like um, and people are getting better at kind of sharing their feelings. And then suddenly you're like, oh, well, at least I'm not alone and it's normal and I can kind of deal with that. I think when it people feel like they're in a vacuum and everyone else has it together and you look at social media and people seem to be fine and they're at their cottage having a great time, that I find can make you feel like, shit, maybe it's only me. And is it normal that I'm feeling anxious right now? 
Yeah, actually, you for that strikes something personal for me because I found social media was kind of giving me anxiety. So I'm taking a summer pause. That's good. Yeah, I, I just felt exactly what you've articulated. Um, why am I having these different feelings? And uh, like, you know, it's funny when you're in an agency, you can you can go for lunch with somebody or like go grab a coffee or a beer after work. And there's you really just sort of have your bubble right now. You just have your bubble. And I personally find it hard to be in my bubble. And then you look over and you're like, God, I should clean my house. And then you look at your kid and you're like, too much screen time. Oh, my God. Disney Plus is raising my children. Well, especially the beginning of the pandemic. Right? Yeah. I felt so much guilt about that. So much guilt. Whereas I think before you could compartmentalize. You're like, I'm at the office, so I don't really know what else is happening. And if it's crumbling, too bad. I'll pick up the pieces later. I struggle with like seeing all of those things that I intuitively am like, I should be doing something about that. And I should be doing something about that. And oh, by the way, you should also work out and you should take care of yourself and eat like all of those stresses. You kind of like can't leave at home to go out, work somewhere and come back and deal with it later. Um, I also read this great thing about how basically everything is taking from you now. There's not a lot of things that like give back energy And so I think we're feeling really depleted and the things that give back energy are sort of fewer and lesser. Um, And so, you know, we talked actually today as a team about like filling up your happy bucket. So we're encouraging people to like really try and create time and space for themselves to mentally feel good. Um, Otherwise, it's really hard to be creative. So you can't ask people to like do their jobs and be super creative if we're not also encouraging them to make time for themselves. So usually people would book a vacation. It's summer. Um, Are you encouraging? I'm sure you are. But how how do you get people to take their vacation time when they don't really have anywhere to go and they're feeling Yeah, we're saying, like, take your vacation. We're making a conscious effort to, to say, like, if you don't have to be on a Zoom, like, don't be on a Zoom. Like, no one is watching to see who's participating and who's not. Like, if you just need a day where... You're doing two Zoom calls instead of six. Like, do that if you can. And then tell people about it. And so everyone feels empowered to create kind of the conditions by which they want to be successful. Some people love the Zooms. And they're like, they're like, oh, I need that. And then it kind of makes me feel like my day is full. So it's like, do whatever it is that you need to do um, so that you feel good. And then if you're having a shit day, like, check out for the day. Like, nobody's watching. Like, success is not about that. It's about how great you feel so that you feel like you can be your best self when you are working. And I think, especially as we talk about creativity, if you can't recharge, you're not going to give your best work. And now more than ever, we need to carve out those spaces to recharge, which feels weird because you're home all the time. Totally. But that doesn't mean you're recharging. Exactly. So I think, I hope that our conversation and, and talking about, it, as you said, we need to talk about it and normalize it, that this podcast today has helped people think, oh, it's okay that I'm feeling these things. Yeah. It's okay that I'm not like doing yoga and cleaning the house and killing it with my campaigns and like everything. We're in a pandemic, people. Yeah, we're in a pandemic. And especially for working moms. Like I feel for people who have, I mean, you have young kids. But our expectations doesn't seem to have changed in terms of like their deliverables. But I mean, I feel kind of lucky. My kid's 12. She can feed herself like on the worst days. Yeah. Um, but it's still a tough age. But she's it's 12. Tough. I'm sure yeah. she's missing her social scene. And, and you've, I'm sure, stepped in to become a lot of that social scene. And they're not yeah. going to summer camps or all the things that they normally do. It, it's, it is tough. I think it's tough. I also think it's tough for like the, the young people who live alone. 
Totally. Like that's got to be really, really isolated, especially at the beginning. Like at least now we can yeah. leave our homes. Yeah. But um, even the pressure now, though, like at least in the beginning to me, the like rules were clear, like do not go outside. Right. Now the rules are less clear. And so there's like anxiety around. I mean, our office is open. If people want to go, you can go mm-hmm. under all the right conditions. Um, and everyone feels very differently about that. That's also a lot of pressure. Like, am I the one who will sit on a patio right now or not? And I think people right. are feeling like, God, what's right? What's wrong? It's and, a little unknown. And the same, like, our agency is going to open in the fall or in January. And then there's a pressure. Do I need to be in the office? How do I navigate that? I think there's a lot of, yeah. a lot of things up in the air. The greatest, I think, the gift, and until you see it on Zoom, like, a window into people's lives and how different they are and how everyone has different needs and like everyone has different things that make them feel like they can be their best selves at the office that has come to light. And I'm excited about redefining what like the new normal looks like in our industry. Um, When we go back, how we go back, it's like pretty amazing that we're on the forefront of that. I love that. Redefining our industry. And I think I think we were kind of at a critical point to do that. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of a wake up call for how we can how we can serve it up differently and and um, be more be more flexible. Yeah. And open to how people work and where they find inspiration and creativity. Yeah, exactly that. I love that. Well, Jordan, thank you so much for coming on in a pandemic and doing the show with us today. Thank you. And we should tell people we're together. So we're together. Distance. We are at least eight feet apart. Yeah. <laughs> and it was magical. But it feels loves. magical. It, it feels does magical. feel magical. And it, you know, the, the frustrating part was I wanted to give you a giant hug. Yeah, But totally. we did like this weird, like <laughs> six feet apart, like... Wavy wave. The, you know, the thing you used to go in the corner and make it look like you were making out with somebody? Like I hugged myself. <laughs> trying to hug Jordan from afar. Uh, it is it is a weird new normal, but it feels like we're stepping forward into at least more comfort and yes, I and, agree. Uh, and it's starting to feel bizarrely okay. Um, and I wonder, I wonder what's going to happen next. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks to Jordan Doucette for being with us today. And thank you for listening to the ADCC podcast that proves it's not just about creativity, it's about getting it created. Yep, even in a pandemic. The Advertising and Design Club of Canada is a nonprofit organization dedicated to encouraging excellence in Canadian advertising and design. Follow us on Instagram at the ADCC. Got a story you want to share? Email created at the ADCC.ca.